This is LifeLinks with a DL link. One minute past 12 o'clock. Good afternoon. This is the DL Link Show on 101.9 High FM. Ah, it's lovely to be here. Nikki Seberini and uh, as always looking forward to spending the next hour with you. I would be remiss if I didn't mention the passing of an extraordinary, extraordinary lady just yesterday. Louise Hay, the American motivational author, passed away at the age of 90 years old. And how many lives did she positively affect? And, you know, in the 80s, when she came out with the idea that positive thinking and that you can heal yourself, it revolutionized things and so many people felt empowered. You know, and it also led to a whole lot of debates about if I'm ill, does that mean I'm weak and I can't overcome my illness? And so there have just been incredible discussions and there have been wonderful books and it's this whole new age and positive psychology. And I would say that she's kind of like the mother of that. So the passing of Louise Hayes, Hayes it's, it's something very important. She had a huge impact on my life. When I read her book, You Can Heal Your Life, I think I was 19 years old and it really shifted me in a whole new direction. But one of her quotes that really stands out, um, and I'm just going to share it with you before we move on, because I think we should maybe move into the show with the spirit of Louise Hay. And she said, you have the power to heal your life. And you need to know that. We think so often that we are helpless, but we're not. We always have the power of our minds. Claim and consciously use your power. There we have it, Louise Hay. Rest in peace, rest in peace. Right, so let's get on with this incredible show, of course, brought to you by the DL Link, where we connect you through insights, information, and illumination. Again, once again, a fantastic show. What we're going to be shining the light on in the next hour is cancer within the workplace. And, you know, we talk about individuals and we're talking about individual stories, but we need to know what is happening in the workplace. And actually, it's been so highlighted that an extraordinary event took place called Live Life Deliberately. It was a wellness program. And there were a host of speakers. It was a whole celebration around Women's Month, um, the SABPP hosted this cancer in the workplace seminar and um, they they spoke about the kind of things that we should all be talking about and that's why we decided on the DL link to bring it out into the open because why should only a few people attending the seminar be awake to what is happening in the workplace and with, with all people. So in a moment I'm going to be chatting with Marius Mayer who is the CEO of the uh, South African Board of People Practices, SABPP. Then I'm going to be chatting with one of the speakers um, and she spoke about the butterfly effect of cancer that's Kim Bell and then Professor Michael Herbst who has joined us on this show before he's a health specialist consultant for cancer he will be joining the conversation as well and then we're going to look at mindfulness in the workplace and we talk about mindfulness with lawyers and judges and so it's a, a full circle and a fascinating show so do not go anywhere I'm going to start off by introducing our first guest Marius Mayer Marius good afternoon thank you very much for joining us Marius, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Oh, I now I can hear you. You have a voice. Wonderful to have you on the show, Marius. Perhaps you Thank can you. just tell the listeners very quickly, what is SABPP? SABPP is a professional body for HR managers. 
Um, so we set standards for HR managers in the workplace in terms of how they need to behave and conduct themselves and how do they need to support management and employees so that people are optimized in the organization. So typically we set standards for HR managers and competencies to guide um, their conduct on a daily basis in the workplace. And so, so why would you host a seminar called Cancer in the Workplace? Well, we have been involved with the Forever Change campaign over the last um, three months, mm-hmm. and we ourselves have learned so much about cancer and the importance of cancer in the workplace. But the main reason why we became involved in this is we developed a national standard on employee wellness. And that standard tells us that you have to look after your employees and ensure that they are really, um, that the behavior and, and the conduct and support in the workplace is really good. So mentally, physically, financially, that your employees are really well. Because if your employees are not well, they're not going to perform well in the workplace. And since we started to engage with the Forever Change campaign, we just realized how important cancer is. And um, the reality is 14% of men will be affected by cancer in South Africa and 13% of women. And that means that if you, if you have a 1,000 employees in your company, about 130 of them will have cancer. And, and our challenge is, and our challenge to the, the, the broader market is to say, you need to support your employees who have, who have cancer mm-hmm. or their, their employees and their family members mm-hmm. because that is going to affect their productivity. So, Morris, th- thank you for that. I mean, I'm imagining some people cringing when they hear it. Um, employers thinking about the cost implications of looking after their employees if they are diagnosed with cancer. And a whole lot of people listening and saying, at last. So, if we had to break this down, how would you? For an employer, how would this impact on him in terms of costing when someone has been diagnosed with cancer? And what are his responsibilities? What are the rights of their employees if they have been diagnosed? Well, well, first of all, I think even before you get to the cost, um, the important thing is to think about the well-being of the person um, because surely emotionally and mentally you'll be affected, let alone the, the physical pain that the employee will, will go through. Mm-hmm. So even there, from a cost perspective, there's a loss, there's a loss in productivity. Um, even your medical aid may be, may be affected. Right. So I think as a, as a caring employer, you need to consider... The cost, the cost and benefits of that whole process, and then support your employees in the process. Sorry, Morris, are you still there? You seem to have disappeared. Yes. Are you yes, there? I, Fantastic. Sorry for the interruption. Please continue. So, so therefore, I think employers must must do a cost analysis, um, and then decide on how they can implement um, good wellness programs to support your employees. Um, who do suffer um, with cancer and and really look after their needs and ensure that they can still remain productive because most employees with cancer can continue working for a very long time Mm -hmm. and keeping them engaged and productive is very Mm -hmm. important because ultimately, as an employer, you're also losing skills. Mm -hmm. And if you have an employee who already works for you for 20 years, surely it's better to retain and look after that employee with all that skills. Um, as part of that particular process. From a cost perspective, it really um, it really adds a lot of value if you really look after your employees, retain the skills, and give them the opportunity to transfer skills to younger employees. Absolutely. So, Maurice, in terms of legislation, are there laws, and I'm talking about labor laws and talking about labor practices within organizations that support time off for um, chemotherapy for particular treatments? Because it doesn't really fall within the normal, you know, sick leave because sick leaves just wouldn't cover it. So are there, are there laws in place at the moment 
to protect people and to give them that time to recover and to know that they still have job security? No, unfortunately, the current situation is is that that the normal sick leave, basic conditions of employment act, um, will apply, and and that is where I think employers really need to be innovative and mm. consider different options. Mm. I mean, there's even a possibility of reducing your work week um, for employees in in severe cases. Um, so, so therefore, I think you need to do a proper analysis to see um, what is the skills you need, what are your options available, so that you can still support the employee while you still um, obtain the productivity from from the employee while he's still very much um, capable of continue working as long as possible. Mm. Well, Morris, thank you very much for joining us and thank you for opening the conversation because I think this is really just the beginning of what's going to be a very exciting time and and certainly I think catching up with perhaps what's happening in other countries. Um, so, um, yeah, this is the beginning of the dialogue, certainly in the, the space where our listeners can get involved and uh, I just thank you for sharing your knowledge and uh, that information. It's been great having you on the show. Thank you very much. Great to be with you. And I would just like to encourage people to support the Forever Change campaign because that's where knowledge can be shared to, to really address the issue of cancer in the workplace. Fantastic, Marius. Thank you and go well. That was uh, Marius Mayer, the CEO from the SA Board of People Practices. And it really is interesting to look at how different companies are dealing with their employees who have been diagnosed with cancer. And uh, what a fascinating conversation. And also that Addie Lang, who is the head of the Forever Change Global Awareness Campaign. I mean, Addie's joined us a number of times on the show that she is leading this initiative and having such a huge impact, um, you know, now looking at organizations as well. So we're going to unpack that even more in a moment. One of the speakers will be joining us, so please stay with you, and we'll be right back. If you are in business and you would like to support the DL Link, consider advertising or sponsoring the show. This is Life Links with a DL Link. Welcome back to the DL Link Show. 11 minutes past 12 o'clock it is. I'm Nikki Seberini and really delighted to be with you. This is the show where we connect you through insights, information and illumination. And for those of you who don't know, the DL Link, what an incredible organization, was founded by Michelle Goodman and Jackie Artsilla in in 2010. Um, and they started off just looking after a few families and now they look after well over 700 families within the community and they provide a nurturing safe space where patients who are faced with cancer as well as their families can turn to for support. Um, And every week we hope we bring you illuminating shows so that you can learn and you can be inspired. So we're talking about cancer within the workplace. We've just heard about this incredible seminar um, called Cancer in the Workplace that took place. And there were a number of phenomenal speakers um, who spoke about all different aspects of that. So we're very excited to have one of the speakers, Kim Bell, in the studio. She's a former managing director um, at Longevity Magazine, and she spoke about the butterfly effect of cancer. Kim, welcome. Thank you very much. Lovely to have you on the show. Thank you very much. So how did you first hear about you? You've had an association with Addie. For a number of years, yes. I first met Addie uh, sh- shortly after she was diagnosed and she was actually undergoing treatment mm-hmm. um, or was at the tail end of her treatment um, when I first met her and she was just starting to look at doing this big campaign Forever Changed. And her story just touched me, and uh, truly did. And the fact um, with the link about knowing your health rights and 
at that stage, I was the managing editor of Longevity magazine, and we thought that was a fantastic story to to write about, about how what your decisions you make um, can impact your cancer journey and what that's all about. Mm. Um, and from there, we've just connected, and I've been in contact with her since. I was involved in a documentary and, um, yes, yeah, spoke recently about the, the effect of the butterfly effect, and it this amazing element of what the butterfly effect is. So let's just rewind a little bit about your rights. And when we're talking about your rights, I mean, I know when I had Eddie in the studio and so many people have expressed the same frustration and disappointment that when they are first diagnosed, it's such an overwhelming experience. They're told to kind of go for this kind of treatment and they almost go with what the advice has been without knowing that they can maybe look at alternatives. They can get second, third, fourth uh, opinions if they want to. Um, and, And that was Eddie's experience. She felt like she had to go along a particular course and only when she was there and she was experiencing that did she realize that maybe that's not what she would have chosen for herself. Exactly. Mm. You know, it's such a it's such a scary time in your life. Um, in, cancer, often people say to you, oh, cancer, you can look at it as a gift because you change, you can move on from there, you grow, you develop, this whole new world opens for you. But let's be honest, who asks for cancer as a gift? Mm. Um, it is a very scary diagnosis. It's a very scary time in your life. And, you know, first th- first right you really have is you have a right to be devastated. You have a right to go through the grief process and you've lost something. Your life has intrinsically changed. And when you get bombarded with information, you're not taking it all in. You, mm. you, you can get very confused. You need to listen to your body. And I think it, that's, that's what a huge element is that we tend to shut down and not listen to our bodies. And men and women don't do that. You've got so much happening in your life that you just don't stop. You don't think, hang on, there's something not quite right that maybe I should get looked at. Mm. And then by the time you do go and get it looked at, it could be potentially a, a, you know, an issue. Um, and then when you, when you're in that doctor's rooms and you get this diagnosis, the big thing is you do have that right to question. If you're not happy with what your doctor's saying, yes, ask for a second opinion. Go for a third opinion. You need to be comfortable with your doctor and your caregiving situation. You need to form a relationship and do a holistic care. And you mustn't be afraid of that. And a big thing is you also need to empower yourself. And again, I know it's scary, but you do need to take that time, research. Don't take things at face value. Mm. There's so much out there. It's incredible. Exactly. exactly. It's quite overwhelming, actually, because you just don't know where to look because there's so much, so many new ideas, new ways of doing things. You've just been attacked by a microphone, Kim. Indeed. <laughs> That's what happens sometimes in the studio. Our <laughs> microphones get very friendly. Just, we'll fix that up for you. Did you just get shocked? It all happens. This is called live radio. Kim, are you okay? <laughs> Do you need debriefing? It's only a microphone. Thank goodness there were no weapons attached. Um, so, yes, it's, as I said, it can be very overwhelming. And sometimes they talk about Google being something that can just put the fear of, of, of death inside of you within 30 seconds of searching. So you, you have to be mindful and very aware of the way you search as well, right? No, exactly. And you need to go to authoritative places. I mean, when I talk about, you know, the right to empower yourself and the right to research, read 
authoritative documents, read authoritative magazines, go onto the cancer website, um, follow up with that kind of thing. But also, don't necessarily just speak to a doctor. You can look at speak to a nutritionist, um, speak to a naturopath. Find out what the alternatives are, but, and then go back to your exports, expert source. Mm-hmm. So once you have found out information from wherever you may have found it, Google Doctor, the worst thing in the world, but once you have found information, go to your doctor, go to that expert you trust, and say to them, but I found this information out. Will this work for me? Why won't it work for me? Can I try this? Is there something else I can try? And make sure, as I said, you, you surround yourself with the right healthcare experts. And there are a number of healthcare experts out there that are valuable and who, who will help you. I just want to actually bring our next guest in, even though, Professor, you were going to be talking about uh, the workplace and the dangers that are there. I'd like to bring you into this part of the the conversation because you are, Professor Michael Herbst, you are the uh, health specialist consultant for cancer. And you're listening to Kim talk about go back to that doctor with all the information that you have. And maybe I'm just projecting what I'm thinking, but I'm thinking if I've been diagnosed with cancer, surely I want to start treatment ASAP. And what Kim's telling me is I've got to put everything on hold and press pause. What do you have to say about that, Professor? You know, for me, one of the most important things is if one... Look, most patients are fearful and they expect to be told you have cancer. Mm -hmm. If that is the case, I always say to people, try and take somebody with you. Never go alone. Mm -hmm. Because what Kim has already said, the moment you hear the words, you have cancer... Patients shut down. Mm. We did uh, research through the International Kidney Cancer Foundation, of which I'm a director. Uh, our head office is in the, uh, Amsterdam in the Netherlands. And we spoke to patients who were newly diagnosed. And about 85% of them said, the doctor didn't tell me anything. He just said, you've got cancer. Then we interviewed all the oncologists and the doctors who make the diagnoses. Mm. And they show you the instruments that and, and how they talk to their patients and what information they provide. Right. And we just found that people just shut down when they hear those They weren't words. even listening. So what you, came after? You, you, you okay, can't hear yeah, because your, your whole life changes within right. a matter of milliseconds. Mm-hmm. And, and your life will never be the same again. Right. So take somebody with you who will be able to listen and give you feedback and then go back a second time. But before you go back, have all your questions and even write them Mm. down as they Mm. come into your mind Mm. so you don't miss out on anything of value, anything of importance. Mm. So this idea that you've got to start treatment immediately, I suppose it depends on each case, but take, but, but what you're saying, and Kim, you're saying as well, is just pause for a while, just pause for a day or two or a week or whatever it is to really gather as much information as you can, get as many people together, and then start planning out a, 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 a path forward. Yes, you know, I, I have come across uh, patients, even young men with testicular cancer, that they diagnose the afternoon. And they're in theater the next That's morning. That's it, right. And I think it is so totally wrong because there's a whole process that one must go through. This young man must be informed because testicular cancer is a young man's disease mm-hmm. between about 15 and, and 39, although the South African experience, we now see up to about 49 years of age. But young men should first be counseled. 
many of them aren't even married yet. They, they're mm. still too young for that. Mm. And they must be counseled, and you've got to give them the opportunity to understand the implications or the possible implications mm. so that they can go for sperm uh, sampling done and uh, cryopreservation of the sperm, etc. Things like that. You land in theater tomorrow morning or you get radiation ther- therapy tomorrow. And that's uh, it. It's going to the rest of your life. Infertility yeah. stares you in the face. Yeah. So, yes, point. that pause, but, I mean, one shouldn't extend it into right. lengthy periods. Right, right. So, Kim, when you talk about the butterfly effect of cancer, is this it? Would that be a butterfly effect that you go into theater the next day and, and that's going to affect your ability to have kids later on is that part of your is that it is part of it yes you know the whole thing about a butterfly effect it actually comes from chaos theory and it's been said that something as small as a butterfly wings can ultimately cause a typhoon halfway around the world and what that effectively means is that your decisions or whatever happens you have the ability to make it a change your change will have a ripple effect uh, good or bad so what it, do, it does go back to that with the decision and causing that butterfly effect. And when you are in that doctor's room, and as you rightly said, uh, Professor, and you have your, your, your partner there with you, your family member, a friend, and you go through the situation, your decisions that you're making that day will have a ripple effect on okay. your health, right. your future health, your children, family, right. Right. friends. There, there's, there's so much of a ripple effect, and mm. it can be positive or negative as to how you choose to move it. Thank you for explaining it so well. Let's take a break. We're going to be right back. LifeLinks is a DL Link fundraising initiative. This is LifeLinks with a DL Link. You are tuned to 101.9 High FM. This is the DL Link Show. We are connecting you through insights, information, and illumination in the studio. I have Kim Bell, who is the former managing editor of Longevity Magazine. Um, she's a great supporter of the Forever Change campaign, and uh, she recently spoke at the seminar Cancer in the Workplace, and she spoke about the butterfly effect of cancer. And I also have um, Professor Herbst, who's joined us before, and he is with Cancer, um, C-A-N-S. And, and is always very generous with his time and his um, advice. So we're talking about we're going back to this bat- butterfly effect. And incidentally, if you'd like to if you'd like to ask any questions or take part in the conversation, please feel free to SMS us on three four five one nine. But just before the break, we were talking about decisions that you may make, which are, which will have the ripple effect later on. What else did you talk about with the uh, butterfly effect um, of cancer, Kim? And how how did people respond to that? I mean, were you talking about things that people had never heard of before? I mean, what kind of support did you get after the seminar? It was quite interesting. Got quite a lot of good support. Um, the interesting thing, I shared quite a few of the statistics, um, which come from the Cancer Association with regards to cancer. Uh, and it is scary. It's very scary as to how it affects people. And, and you know, it's one in four. It's so one in four people will either be diagnosed with cancer, have a family member, a friend, a work colleague, someone that they know. And what I found very interesting is when I started my presentation, and there was a group full of people, there was a room full. And I started the presentation and I started by saying, who has been affected by cancer here in this, uh, this way? And do you know, I think there was five, six people in that room who did not put up their hands. Otherwise, everyone else Everyone don't. has. Mm. We all know mm. of someone. We all have a story. And I'm not just talking about people who are work in this industry. I'm talking about 
your friends, people no, you everyone. pass, the lady mm-hmm. at the supermarket. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the thing is, is that what we said as well, is that cancer knows no discrimination. It just chooses randomly. And it, 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 there's a lot of miscommunication as to with regards to that, who can get cancer, who can't get cancer. And, I mean, your lifetime risk, if I remember correctly, for women, it's one in nine. And for men, I think it's one in eight. Um, so there's a high risk. There are ways to prevent it. Uh, to a large degree. A lot of cancers, up to about 90%, are lifestyle-related and um, environment-related, which, again, people don't tend to know. There is a familial link, but the familial link is quite small. small. I think it's about 20%, somewhere around there, mm-hmm. um, with regard to familial link. So the thing is, you know, stay healthy, eat healthy, exercise. It's all those usual things. Don't smoke. Um Try and live a, a moderate lifestyle to to a large degree, and then uh, we also spoke about being positive, and and talking about this ripple effect and how you can change and and how it's so important on on how you face this journey and to take it to a positive way for yourself by understanding that there are choices in life, that you don't have to settle for one medication or or one therapy that you have the right to, to, as I said, to research it Mm. and to look and see what's out Mm. there and do what's best for you. Yeah, well, that's what we try to do, try and bring as many different options um, onto this show so people get that idea. So so that's fascinating. So that was the Cancer in the Workplace seminar. Thank you, Kim, for explaining that. Um, and uh, hosted by SABPP, and they were looking specifically within the workplace. Obviously, look at, I, I was asking about legislation, Prof. You know, I mean, you know, you have how many sick days uh, a, a year? And here, if you're going through chemotherapy and you can go through weeks, maybe even months that you're not available. I mean, I've, I've had some warriors who've said they've worked. They then I've had some warriors who have said they've just had to book time out. And I think for each person, they respond differently to treatment. But I want to bring this cancer in the workplace very, very specifically to the dangers of, of contracting some working with carcinogenic um, substances that could cause cancer. And I know that the science doesn't tell us that it will definitely cause cancer because it's up to the individual. But there are certainly workplaces and there are certainly dangerous environments which put you at a higher risk. Um, to cancer. Am, am I right for, for getting cancer? So. Uh, but, you know, before we, we talk about some of these dangers in the workplace, I must tell you that I was preparing a fact sheet for the Cancer Association on cancer in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find anywhere any statistics on work-related cancer deaths in South Africa. Really? It's just no one's, av- no one's researching it. There's nothing. N- not available. That's and yet, if you think of it, that we have uh, quite a lot of legislation as far as occupational health is concerned. For instance, we've got five major acts talking about health and safety in, in, in the workplace. And the one is the National Department of Labor is responsible for the Occupational Health and Safety Act. The Mine Health and Safety Act is the Department of Energy. Then the Merchant Shipping Act, which talks about occupational health at sea, is under the Department of Transport. None of these organizations, not even Stat South Africa, could I find any statistics on cancer in the workplace and cancer deaths in the workplace. Why do you think that is? You know, South Africa has some of the best legislation in the world, and we come up with the best regulations but we do not implement them, unfortunately, and, and, and that creates a problem. I am in trouble at the moment because I continually saying to people, 
Sorry, I can only give you 2012 statistics as far as cancer is concerned. 2012. And when I complain about that, people tell me, no, that's the norm. It is not the norm. I can tell you that the Netherlands have 2015 stats out already, and they've got uh, provisional results for 2016 out already. But the Cancer Association, I mean, shouldn't you be leading those kind of uh, surveys, research, We don't have access to the material. You see, the legislation provides that the National Cancer Registry is the only body within this country that has access to those stats. And they must then clean and, and, and wash the stats so that nobody can recognize a particular patient within the, the, the right. data right. and then publish the data. But we're still sitting only with 2012. Now, if you think of it, that only in 2011 did the minister declare, after years of lobbying by the Cancer Association, did the minister in 2011 declare cancer uh, not a notifiable but a reportable uh, disease. So in 2012, we still have people who, who, who didn't report the cancers. So even the 2012 statistics that we have, I believe, doesn't give us the full picture. Because until 2011, yes. only the public sector laboratories reported. And you must remember that cancer is also only a histology-based, which means that only people who were diagnosed by means of a specimen of tissue or blood or body fluid that was sent to a laboratory. Well, let me ask you this, Professor. Sorry to, sorry to interrupt you, but how many people are passing away and no one even knows that they died of cancer? Well, and I we're talking about you, many, many areas because in order to be diagnosed, it's, a, it's very costly to be diagnosed. It is. And if you're going to be queuing, if you're going to public hospitals and you're going to be queuing for hours and hours and hours and hours so that you can have the scan and you can have an MRI, whatever, it's costly. And how many are just simply not diagnosed? I, but I, let I me give you the good news. Please. And the good news is as far as the public service, which is not doing well at the moment as far as health is concerned, but they have now asked the Cancer Association to work together with them, and we are now looking at the training of health professionals who will be the gatekeepers at the primary health care level because come NHI, which is the National Health Insurance, you cannot okay. enter except through a primary health care clinic. And we are now looking at what the people in the primary health care clinic should know about cancer so that the current situation where women coming with fulminating breast cancer with big ulcers bursting open, mm. given panados and sent mm. home. Unbelievable. Yeah. Because they don't recognize it as, as, as something important, and mm. it, it's, it's unbelievable. Mm. But so the, the National Health Department and Cancer Association is now working closely together. Okay, so there's, and, as and, you and, say, and that there's is a good news. a wonderful step forward. Oh, that is a wonderful really. step forward. Prof, we've really just got a few more minutes, but I, I do want to discuss these, the, the dangers in certain workplaces, and I'm bringing it up because when I went through, and, and I don't want to scare a million people out there, but when I was going through your, your documents and I was looking at, you know, what could be carcinogenic forming uh, substances in a workplace. The one thing, I mean, you've got, I'm, I'm just trying to find it over here. You're looking at, where did I put it? Asphalt fumes. That's coal tar pitch. You're talking about road workers who are, who are putting tar down on the road. There, there's, there's a risk there. We're looking Think at about benzene. the people in the steel industry yes. where they change uh, ordinary coal into uh, other products that, that they use for combustion for melting steel. 
in in the uh, Coke ovens. And, I mean, all those coal tar things, it, it, it's so carcinogenic, really it is. Welding, welding, the, the, and, and chromate painting. Then you look at formaldehyde. I mean, if people talk about formaldehyde, look at how many women every single day are going and having the gel and the this and the that and the, the Brazilian treatments and That's all right. of those things, beside the fact that they've chosen to do it. But what about the workers who are, we, 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 who, who are it, applying it every right. single day, hours and, and inhaling the fumes so, and getting so, skin contact? Right. So what you're really saying is that it's it's kind of protecting your workers. So if you have got workers who are doing it, do you have a fan? Do you have a proper aircon? Are they wearing masks? Are they wearing gloves? It's making businesses aware of those kind of dangers because I see men working in the roads and all they're wearing are a pair of gloves and, and that's it. But let me tell you what is more scary to me is asbestos. Now, it's been banned in the country for so long. You go from town to town and you'll be amazed to see the thousands of school buildings that are still asbestos buildings. And you must see how the ceilings are falling apart and how because they the asbestos panels don't last forever mm. and they crack. And, and that's when they're dangerous, when they start to crack and break We've down. still got a high incidence of asbestosis, oh. of, you know, of, of, of the mesotheliomas that come because of asbestos. It, it's, it's really a problem. It's, it feels like an insurmountable mountain that needs to be climbed. Benzene. Uh, uh, think of, of uh, wood dust in the, in, in the wood producing areas of the country where the, the sawmills are. Mm. Wood dust is, is a major cause of, of occupational cancers. And uh, it, it's, it's really, it is just so scary. So, Prof, th- this kind of seminar that took place and having these kind of discussions and maybe getting uh, departments involved and having laws laid down, putting it into legislation that if you're working with these particular products, you've got to take certain precautions. Maybe you need to be testing your employees regularly. You need to give them the, the correct equipment. Is that where we're heading? Is that the, I would like to know that we're moving in that direction. Well, I hope we're moving in that direction. But I would like to take it from the other end and say we have a responsibility to inform the public so that they will be the ones that will take the lead. And I say to people, know your body. And you've got to know your body from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. Mm -hmm. You must know if something is different today than it was last week or last month. Mm -hmm. Because only then will you be able to seek help. And men are the worst at health-seeking behavior. Mm -hmm. And... I go to the extent people laugh at me when I, when I tell them how well you've got to know your body. Uh, excuse me what I'm going to say now, but I say to people even before you flush the loo, check and see what you are flushing. Because you've got to know is there a change in, 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 in what comes out of your body as well. And there so many of the cancers are, are can be visualized and, 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 and one can become aware of. You really have to know your body from top to bottom. Mm. Thank you, Prof. Thank you for that. I think it's fantastic advice. And I hope that everyone heard you. I really do. Thank you for that. Unfortunately, I have to say cheerio to, to you two wonderful people because our next fascinating guest is going to be joining us. We're going to be talking about mindfulness in the workplace. Um, so, Professor, I hope we're going to see you in the studio again. It's always Always uh, a looking pleasure. forward Pro- to Chai for an invitation. Thanks, Professor Michael Herbst. And Kim, thank you so much and for explaining the butterfly effect. Thank and you very much. Continue. I can see you on your compa- campaign. Continue with it. Thank you very much. Thank, you, very thank much. you. We are going to take a quick ad break um, and – 
uh, we'll be back in just a, a couple of minutes. Um, you are back. This is Lifelinks with a DL link. Nothing like a little bit of Roy Orbison to get the next uh, section of the show going. It is uh, 16 minutes to 1 o'clock. Nikki Seberini here on the DL Link Show. I have got such a wonderful guest in the studio. I've had a chat with her before. She's come onto the show when I was on another show all together. And we were talking about divorce. Yes. And we were talking about collaborative law. Yes. Um, and it was fascinating. And I'm so excited. She's back in the country. She's been working with Philippa Levitt. They've been talking about um, divorce. Um, but there's a whole name around. It, which she's going to tell us a little bit more about Nicole Copping Pavaz. Yes, hi, Nicole. Welcome. Thank you. Ex South African. Ex South African. Living in Canada. Living in Canada. And doing something so amazing because in law, that's what you do. But you work on collaborative family law. Yes. But you bring something so much more to law. We're talking about mindfulness and being present. And when I think of a lawyer and I think of a judge and I think of mindfulness, I'm like, yes. Would the world not be a better place? I mean, it must oh, be yeah. very stressful. And so yeah. for you to find that while pursuing that that career must have been quite an extraordinary journey. It was. And how it started was um, I just realized that all my colleagues were stressed. And I talked to them and say, if you had this imaginary, illusionary work-life balance, like what would you? They go, oh, sign, sign me up, sign me up. And I started researching and realizing there was nothing for lawyers that um, – could really help them. We were all so stressed. We um, were always guilty, either being at work or guilty about being at home. And and um, it was really stressful. Mm-hmm. And I went to the Law Society to see what's out there. So we have a, a member assistance program. So when you're in crisis, you can have resources to help you in crisis. And I thought, but that's not good enough mm-hmm. because we want to avoid getting to crisis. Because in 1996, believe it or not, lawyers actually overtook dentists with a higher rate of suicide. Really? And we've never, as lawyers, we always strive for the best. No one has ever overtaken us. So we are the highest profession with with the rate of suicide. And it's really because lawyers leave emotion at the door. And But the fact is we deal with feelings all the time. And I realized that there was nothing helping lawyers to to prevent them from getting from the stressful situation. And one of my main reasons also was I felt there needed to be compassionate courtrooms mm. because people go through stressful situations. It's so stressful and going to court. It's terrible. Oh. It, look, never mind going to court. Getting a lawyer's letter is stressful in itself. Mm-hmm. So so the whole process. Um, but I thought, imagine if there were compassionate courtrooms. Imagine if judges... Um, Understood and had were mindful that they were, when you when they said when we in this courtroom compassion resides, and you can't speak to each other in a way that is not civil, you have to understand. And if judges were compassionate, we'd have a trickle down effect from judges to lawyers to clients to parents to children, and um, and that was sort of my my first initial thinking of how can we make law change? What can we do? And so I started learning. Um, I, I went on a course and I um, learned how to train lawyers in mindfulness because our brains are, are, are just wired. Very, our, our training wires our brains very differently. Really? So I did that and then I just was intrigued. And so I've been uh, to Thailand. I've studied with the monks up in, in the, the forests and, and mountains in oh, Thailand. Wow. Uh, that how was in February, February this year. It was, must have been fantastic. It was amazing. It really was, you know, and it's just – and as I said to you before the show started um, – you only need one person in a room for the whole to be mindful for that whole energy to change, mm. right? And how can we bring that? How can we be that one person? Mm. 
Wouldn't that be amazing if we were that one person? We could just be that one. So we were listening to Kim talk about this butterfly, the, the butterfly cancer effect, the mm-hmm. butterfly effect. This is kind of like the butterfly effect, isn't it? Oh, 100%. You know, we started off talking about um, cancer in the workplace and, you know, how do people respond and the awkwardness around that? And do we talk to the person? Do we pretend we don't know about it? How empathetic, how supportive are we? Um, and it's so linked, really. Yeah. When you're mindful, you're conscious, you're aware – you know, you know how to connect and to be just the one yeah. person, and it just affects like everyone. Person. Absolutely. And, and and so, what is it? People who are listening, going, but hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. What is mindfulness? What are you talking about? So it's a great question, and there are a gazillion different definitions for mindfulness. And I have a very simple definition. My definition is simply awareness, simply to be aware of your body and mind at any given time. And then understanding what to do with that information mm-hmm. that you've got. Mm-hmm. So there's also um, short-term mindfulness and long-term mindfulness. And most of us only know short-term mindfulness. M- most of us only think, oh, it's how to calm my mind. Um, it's how to be calm in a stressful situation. It's how to meditate. And that is, that that's amazing. But the problem is you can be calm and you can be um, figure out your strategies for, for, for avoiding stress. But the stress is always going to come back. So we can't say to somebody if we in the workplace in a meeting that's stressing out, I'm sorry, can I take a 10-minute break? I need to meditate. Okay, so it's right? kind of like being the person on top of a mountain meditating and how much easier it is to reach that wonderful state. But when we come down the mountain and we've just surrounded by people and life, life it's is dealing there. with life. Yeah, I like that. Okay. So the long-term mindfulness, which is really where I, I, I'm trying to force this, because a lot of the – in the West, we only deal with short-term mindfulness. But what is long-term mindfulness? Long-term mm-hmm. mindfulness is the wisdom that you gain from being mindful. So it's the wisdom that I gain from understanding that right now I'm talking to you, but I'm also aware that my eyes are blinking. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking to you. I'm noticing my finger moving. I'm talking to you. I can feel that I'm sitting in a chair. I can feel this ground beneath me. I'm talking to you. I'm aware of breath coming in and out of my body, right? I'm mm-hmm. talking to you. Yeah, I've got flutters of a little bit of anxiety, but mm-hmm. it's like, hey, anxiety, you there? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm conscious that while I'm talking to you, I'm also thinking about the next thing that I, that I want to say, that's mindfulness. And you can only get insight and wisdom from that mindfulness. You can't really gain wisdom and insight from, from the short term, right? You can meditate and sit on a mountain for years and years and years, and you would have just sat on a mountain for years and years and years and been calm, right? Mm. We want to learn. We want, we want mindfulness to teach us. Mm. We want mindfulness to say, yeah, I know life is stressful, but it's okay because it's only the stress that I'm feeling right now is only temporary. I'm aware that I'm stressed. It's causing me discomfort, but it doesn't define me. Mm. And if we can always bring those three elements into every single thing that we do and every single situation and every feeling that we feel or every um, emotion that we feel, it sort of separates us from it, right? And then we can say, okay, this doesn't have to define me. And then we can get the wisdom. Then we can think, oh, I really didn't react the way I should have when I when I was shouting at my child. If I would have contained that anger and noticed I was angry, maybe I wouldn't have had I wouldn't be screaming at my child because I would have caught my anger before it did anything. So I think people are listening going, okay, that sounds great. But that's just not me. Or how on earth it feels like that's that's where I want to be, but how do I get there? Is it hard work? Is it practice? Do I have to study something? You actually just you answered it yourself. 
it's a it's a practice that requires practice, okay. right? So one thing a I, practice that requires practice, a practice that requires practice. So you can listen to me for hours on end. You can go on Google and, and watch TED talks, and you can do all of these wonderful things. That's not going to make you mindful, right? It's the same thing as you saying, "I want to be a bodybuilder, so I'm going to watch every single YouTube video there's on body bodybuilding." But you're not unless you go out and exercise and practice. You're not going to be a bodybuilder. Right, and it's the same thing with mindfulness. It's a practice, and it's a habit that you form. So it really is at the end of day, um, meditating, and learning how to calm your mind, not control your mind. We will never, ever, ever, ever be able to control our mind, but learning how to calm our mind and learning how to have an awareness of any moment in time what we're doing, mm. what about driving is the best time that you can be mindful. How often have you got into a car and you've arrived home and you thought? How did I get mm, here? Mm. I don't even remember. Were there traffic lights? Mm. That's this autopilot that we're on the whole time. But if we've mindful, we're going, I'm driving. My hand is on the steering wheel. My foot is on the accelerator. And just being mindful, that's mindfulness, right? And mindfulness actually is not this. People think it's this long-term thing that we have and we're completely mindful all the time. No, 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 no. Mindfulness are pockets of pockets, pockets of, of it, it right? Uh, and just getting more and more pockets and of anyone mind. can access this. It doesn't just belong to particular people it's not a religious belief no. it's not a philosophy it's not a it's, it's anyone can practice it you know i have opened myself to this wonderful world of mindfulness and i mean i'm sitting here saying i've de definitely reaped the rewards it's i have so noticed a huge difference um and i like to explain it to other people i often say just see it as like an exercise for your mind mm -hmm. because people can relate to exercise sometimes they get a bit frightened when it's meditation or it's om or it's and it's not that you exercising your mind to do exactly that drive from place a to place b and be aware of that to yeah. be aware of that and so research says that it lowers your blood pressure and it can boost immune systems and it can just do incredible things for for your health mm -hmm. Nicole, I'm going to put us on hold for a second because we've got our DL Link Angel, and we always like to chat to a DL Link Angel um, on the show, someone who's had an interaction directly with the DL Link and who's just recently experienced the warm, um, wonderful energy of this incredible organization. And so, Lynn Dorsky, um, you're one of the DL Link warriors. Um, it's so lovely to have you on the show. Um, we have chatted before. Are you well? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I always get well. You've got to have a positive attitude and thank God for dealing. Well, you know, you've just recently moved, haven't you? You've just moved to our yes, parents' home and they helped you move. And they helped me move. They sent someone to help me. And I mean, should I be it's the right place or not for me? I don't know. But uh, I need assisted living because I was very sick again a few months ago. Yes. Yes. And yeah, they send someone to help me and they've just been incredible. You know, I would say, why, why do you have to get sick to meet such incredible people? Mm. So even though you're there, you're still very connected and you're still very much a part of the family and they're yes, there absolutely. with you. Oh, that's absolutely. wonderful. I haven't done any. Lynn's gone. We've lost her. But we were just going to chat very briefly with Lynn anyway. Um, 
Yeah. So, do you know the deal link, Nicole? Well, only from what you told me about it. I was. It, it warmed my heart to know that they in a stressful incredible. situation, there they are. There. The, I mean, these people are just phenomenal. You know, imagine a a young mother who's been diagnosed with breast cancer and she has to go for chemotherapy, and all of a sudden she's worrying about her kids at school. Who's going to fetch them? Who's going to feed them? Who's going to help them with homework? And the deal link says. We'll do it for you. You go, get better. In fact, we'll take you. And you know what? When you get back, there'll be a meal waiting for you. There are no words to describe it. So, so, there, Lynn is back. Lynn, you there? Yeah, Lynn is back. Lynn is back. As you said it, Lynn is back. Um, Lynn Lynn is back. (laughs) So, I'll be back. By about next week, I think I'll be settled. But it's just been running down. And thank God for wonderful people like Felicity. You just come and... Pick up all your clothes and move them. Mm. And as I said, I don't know why you've got to get sick to meet so, such wonderful people. The show's incredible. Incredible. And I just think the whole thing is. Well, you know, you don't have to get sick to meet them. I mean, listening to the show, you're in touch with these incredible people, these angels all yes. the time. And having people like you share their story just brings us closer to them and also allows them to continue doing what they do. So thank you for joining us, Lynn. And, and we really do wish you all the best at our parents' home. Thank I hope you that so it is much. your and place. Thanks for having me join you. Oh, it's a pleasure. pleasure. And lots of good health coming your way. Yes. Thanks so, so much. Thank you, yes. Lynn. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye. And she says, why do you have to get sick? to meet people like that. It's the same as why do you have to get sick to realize how amazing it is that you have a body that works, not Mm -hmm. a body that's too fat or too wrinkly or too much cellulite, but a body that works. And I think that that's what mindfulness is about. You are so in the present moment that gratitude just is part and parcel of it. Absolutely. And you know, when I do a meditation, and by the way, I've been meditating for many, many years. I don't meditate for more than 20 minutes. That it. That's it. Okay. For me, I, I can't can. do more than 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. My mind takes over control, and then I'm worrying about my day and my kids and my, what I have to do. <laughs> 20 minutes is my limit, right? Uh-huh. But but the beauty, I start every um, meditation that I either teach or, or that I do for myself is just to say, thank your eyes that you allow me to see every day. Thank you, ears, for allowing me to hear the beautiful music every day. Thank mm. you, tongue, for allowing me to talk. Mm. And just go through my body and saying thank you. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you for feet for allowing me to walk, to get, to sit in this room and meditate. Mm-hmm. Right? We never thank ourselves. Mm-hmm. But we take out our whip and we whip ourselves. Mm. That we know how to do. Yeah. But really, just to say thank you, teeth, for letting me chew. Yeah. You know, and it's just important. being grateful for those small, small things. So I want to leave the listeners very quickly because they can go onto YouTube and find out mm. a little bit more. And certainly they can. Do you have a website that people can contact that they can that, you know, if they're perhaps lawyers and judges here in South Africa who go amazing. I think that we need it as well. So how, um, how what what should they do? You've stumped me, actually. Um, in terms of what I do, I mm. don't have a website. How do people for... have access to this? So. We... I, so what I mean, if they just Google me, there's okay. all the all the work that I've done in mindfulness and the articles and, and everything. But what I would like to suggest is, can I mention an app yes, that, that people can go to? There's this app called Insight Timer. That is a free app. Insight 
Timer. Insight Timer. Yes. And the beauty about this app, other than that, it's got every single meditation that you can think of from 30 seconds to an hour. It's got talks about mindfulness. It's even got a timer. So if you only want to meditate for three minutes, your timer will come on. But it tells you who you're meditating with throughout the world. So the second you go on, it says, at this moment, 345,000 people are meditating. You connected. You, you connected. Connected. I love that. Insight Timer, an app. Download that app. For free. And enter into the wonderful world. Of being mindful and being present and being grateful, and I'm so grateful that that you came onto the show. I wish we had more time, Nicole. Lovely having. Please visit us again. Thank you so much. Thank you, and thank you for listening. Thank you for staying tuned. Look forward to being with you next week. From me, Nikki Seberini, you take care. Goodbye.